Steve from Baracho, and you're watching Heavy Galaxy Show. Rock on, man. Right, the Heavy Galaxy Show. We're back with another episode this week for you guys and gals. And today we got a really cool one for you folks, as I'd like to welcome to the show a gentleman who, for over 40 years, he's been grinding that axe in the hard and heavy rock world. You know him as the guitarist for one of the godfathers of Stoner Rock, the Mighty Monster Magnet. And he's here today to talk about his debut solo record, Caivano. It's available now for purchase. I'd like to welcome Mr. Phil Caivano to the Heavy Galaxy Show. What's up, Phil? Thanks for coming out with me today. How are you, man? Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, Phil, let's get right into it, man. Kaivano, it's your first solo release, and as I mentioned, it's out now. Everyone can go have a listen and purchase the record. Uh, and Phil, man, like we're seeing a lot of these days with a lot of veteran musicians, you know, obviously this uh, record uh, was put together during the pandemic uh, when artists like yourself had to had the time to finally do some things that you normally don't have to do. And, uh, I mean, quite an impressive debut, man. Uh, you know, so I guess let's walk us through, I guess, putting this record together. Now, was this something that you decided to get rolling during the pandemic, or did you have these songs sort of in the vault for, for a while before you did it? You know, I had a couple in the vault, you know, I had a couple okay. just like sitting in the background. Um, I wouldn't say it was a work in progress, but little things I was like picking away at, you know, and, uh, okay. And I, you know, um, some songs I there was there was a there was a song or two that I wrote with my friend Todd Youth when we did this Capricorn thing together and okay Todd was out in New York uh, uh, out here in Jersey with me we were doing this uh, Motorhead tribute thing after Lemmy had passed away and you know our love for Motorhead that was really like the Capricorn thing and 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 then uh, Todd was encouraging me to keep it going and then you know he unfortunately passed away and then mm -hmm. one thing was leading to another and then i was getting busy with magnet things were on the back burner and i never really thought about it as like a soul uh, a side project okay. i didn't really ever want to do um a side like a side band you know like uh, i was always i've always been really really happy working with windorf you know like it's mm -hmm. always been great um keeps me musically satisfied and create get my my creative stuff like happy happening you know and then uh and then you're right with the downtime um and I was working with this other drummer my buddy Paulie Kane we were working on some songs together just going through some things and there was some talk about me doing a record finally and uh Magnet got busy again and I kind of didn't really I don't know I didn't really think about it that much and then with the downtime I listened to a couple of the tracks. I'm like, you know, these are pretty good. I'd like to get them out somehow, you know. And then that first year, I kept writing a little few more things. You know, uh, Magnet had just done the Better Dystopia record. And, 
you know, I was like mm -hmm. uh, listening to a lot of old stuff again. And, you know, uh, like I said, like, you know, music has always been like an outlet for me to not think about what's going on. I've always been that kind of uh, musician, never like, I don't think what I have to say is so important. It's going to change the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I've never gone down that road. It's more like uh, escapism, okay. you know, mm -hmm. an escapism for me. And um, so I started doing it again and I had this little nucleus and I played it for Bob Pentella. And we were like, let's just finish it, you know, and see where it goes. And that's what we did. Yeah, very cool. Well, you know, you brought up the, the band Motorhead, you know, and, and so in terms of the mu musical style on the record, I mean, obviously those influences are in there a lot. I mean, in terms of really, I mean, you know, what I, if I could, I guess, explain the sound to anybody if they haven't heard it yet, I would just say it's really, you know, put Monster Magnet and Motorhead into a blender and going from there, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it doesn't stray really too far from what you're known for. Um, you know, because a lot of times we see, you know, when when a lot of veteran musicians want to do a solo record, they sort of venture into, you know, genres and subgenres that they're really influenced by, but that, you know, obviously they normally don't play with their, you know, main band or so. Uh, but really on, on this record, you, you kind of kept it close to the vest. I mean, you didn't really veer too far off. I mean, you've got obviously a lot of influences. You've been in a lot of different, you know, uh, projects and bands that have different sounds, you know, whether it be hardcore like you know the blitzbeer stuff that we'll get to in a little while so um now did you consciously like you know make the decision like you said i mean you were just kind of explaining obviously that you had some of these in the vault a little by little but did you make the decision really when you put the album out to really maybe not venture off too far from you know what people know you for or was this just a natural it was sort of you know it's more natural because it's like you know i that's who i am you know i mean that's what i am you know i don't try to get too far i've never really gone too far away from it. like look at i love doing different stuff i love when windorf throws some stuff at me that's like out of my wheelhouse and stuff but like i really when it came down to doing my own stuff um let's just face it i'm the, the guitar player for monster magnet for 25 years that's like what mm -hmm. i do and and it doesn't it, even my style and monster it's always been like I play guitar how I play guitar. I'm not one of these guys to be like, oh, you know, if you ask Phil to play on a record or play on something, I'm going to do what I do. I'm not mm -hmm. going to all of a sudden do something completely different. And to be honest with you, there was one track that like, you know, I was like, let me try something different and do a different sound and clean it up or whatever and make it more something. And, and I, I, I worked on it and I, uh, I went out and I came back and I was like, that sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> what the fuck do I think I am? You know, like all is like I'm not. You know, I'm not in the cure. You know, and I love. Yeah. You know, I love Robert Smith, and I love all kinds of different music. But I'm like, what am I doing with all that? You know, crap. And I was just like, you know, plug in the Les Paul, turn up the Marshall, let her let her go. You know, so mm. it's just kind of like, and it became that personal influence kind of thing to me. It's like. uh I kind of went back a little bit to my roots that got me going in the first place of the things I love. Let it be a little sloppy. Let it be a little raw. Let it be fuzzed out. Let it have a lot of distortion. Let it breathe a little bit. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's really who I am. And that came down to like, you know, what am I going to call this thing? You know, like all that kind of stuff. And in the industry, people always call me by my last name. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, uh, uh, and when I put this thing out, I could call it, you know, 
you know, manhole cover, you know, and like people are going to be like, <laughs> mm -hmm. well, it's Phil Cavana from Monster Magnet. So mm -hmm. I just decided, like, let's just eliminate all that. And I'll just use my last name and let it call it a day. I didn't really think too much about that stuff. Sure. Yeah, no, it makes sense, man. No, definitely. Now, we're lyrically in the song titles, you know, when I see the titles, some of them, Now is Forever, You Await, Verge of Yesterday. I mean, these are just some of the song names. Lyrically, now, were these tracks influenced by what you were going through during the pandemic? Or was this maybe a way to release what you were going through and feeling at the time? Or were these just yeah. same yeah. thing? In the, in the, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, lyrically, again, like I've never been one to just like, you know, oh, you know, be all like always like a play on words and things like that. And like there's always going to be some personal stuff in there, of course. And um, I've never been like I haven't written lyrics, honestly, in a really long time since like really the Blitzbeer days. You know what I mean? And I haven't been in front of a microphone singing lead vocals since that time. Mm -hmm. And back then, you know, Scotty and I would be like, oh, you know, like we were young and we were like silly and like, you know, we were like, you know, come up with a one liner and, and the, the lyrics were always like uh, a group of one liners. What does it mean? It means nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so part of it was that part of it was like I tried not to tap too far into what was going on and, and you know, around everybody during the pandemic and try to, again, escapism, try to escape from it all a little bit. You know, like the song mm -hmm. Now Is Forever was just like, you know, something I wrote quite a while ago that was like it kind of held true to what was going on that like, you know, with everything that was going on around, you know, everybody had a different experience during the pandemic where there's a lot of people mm -hmm. had per very heavy personal stuff going on. Um, you know, I, I got, you know, I, I actually got pretty sick with COVID a, a couple times. And uh, mm. I was like, hey, man, all I really got is right fucking now, man. Let's just hope uh, I get through this fucking thing. Or, and like, you know, like right now, right here, right now, I'm okay. So I'm going to go with it. I ain't in the hospital. I, you know, I just mm. had to turn it all off. You know, that's part of who I am. I like shutting it out. Living mm. in another Windorf and I thing. Like, we just live in our own little world, man. And it's safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I, and one of the things I'm really glad that, you know, that you're doing with the album is that you're putting, you know, it's out on vinyl. Uh, because to me, I think for this, you know, kind of sound you have on this record, it, this kind of music, it just, it doesn't do it justice any other way than to have this thing on vinyl. And um, and speaking of that, I, I did come across a picture that I'm going to bring up here in a sec that I saw. I think it was on one of the Monster Magnet group pages. Uh, let me just bring this up real quick. Now, this is obviously uh, you, an original uh, member there of, of Monster Magnet, Tim Cronin, who, I mean, Tim, I, I had the pleasure of speaking with Tim last year on another show that I do, man. He's a great guy. Um, what, what a good dude he is. Uh, he sent me a bunch of early, you know, Magnet, you know, memorabilia and stuff. Just a good dude. But he was telling me at this place right here, uh, Jack's Music Shop in Red Bank, New Jersey. Uh, it's been around for over 50 years. He said he's been working there for like 30, 35 years, I believe. Um, and you know, to me, I mean, over 50 years seeing a, a you know, a, a record store like that still go and surviving the pandemic and everything, I would just, I would think having your record in that store, you know, at home in Jersey, that's got to be brings such a, I would think, sentimental value to you that probably trumps it being in any other place I can imagine. Like, you know, you hit it on the head. I mean, like Jack's, I've been by, I've been going to Jack's and getting my vinyl there since I was 10 years old. Wow, damn. You know, where I'm sitting right now in my studio, the original Jax was two doors down on oh, wow. the side of the street from where I live right now. 
Jack's dad and my grandfather were friends. You know what I mean? So mm, there's this wow. long history of Jack's music. I love Jack's. I love Jack Anderson. You know, his dad had a place called Anderson's here in Red Bank that, you know, our families would go get our TV sets and things and shit and stuff. Nice. And um, there's a lot, a lot of history. And there's a lot of history, even more so of like, a lot of my first records were bought at Jack's wow. um, and, you know, waiting for the imports to come in. Wait, you know, uh, my first uh, Hawkwind record that remember the first time I bought a Budgie record was like, mm. there's this band Budgie and like, who's Budgie, you know? And like, mm. uh, you know, I was 14 years old, maybe 13 at that time. And a guy, Ronnie, who worked there going in the back, taking it out of the plastic because the imports used to come in in the plastic bags mm -hmm. and not really sealed, like, you know, with the shrink wrap and like, mm -hmm. okay, we can listen to the first track. And if you don't buy it, someone else will, you know, it was like mm -hmm. this really, really special time of my life and very instrumental Jack's music, um, very instrumental and my influences of, of uh, uh, kind of who I became, you know, mm -hmm. that was the vinyl shop. And uh, there's a couple other spots we used to travel to to find vinyl. Um, Igor's out in uh, Old Bridge and uh, Vintage Vinyl, too. I, I used to go there, travel from New York to Vintage Vinyl. I know that closed up uh, a couple of years ago, which was unfortunate. I know that was a great place. Yeah. And yeah. You know, this little pocket of Jersey. It's oh yeah really really interesting as far as musical stuff goes that's a whole nother mm -hmm. thing between like garage rock rock metal um all the kind of things that went on everything that went on out in old bridge you know mm. uh, but jacks not to go too far away from that like what a special spot tim has been very instrumental um you know tim tim you know back you know, uh, uh, he helped me write some lyrics with the uh, Capricorn stuff that I was doing with Todd. Mm. And Tim was like one of the friends who was pushing me to get this record done. He was like, you have to do it. Mm. You know, so to mm. have my vinyl in that store is beyond special to me. I, I can't awesome. put it into words. Yeah, no, that's 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 really cool, man. I mean, like I said, it's it's you said you've been buying records just since you're 10 years old, so I can imagine, like you said, the oh, forget the, it. That sentimental value has got to feel good to you, especially your own. It's one thing you get a monster record, but to have your own solo record, now that's that's a whole yeah. other story, you yeah. know. Yeah, very cool. Well, um, you know, it, it's Phil, it's not only you know, obviously, now it's been 25 years for the almighty power trip record, obviously, that was Monster Magnets. Uh, obviously biggest record commercially at least to date um and it's obviously you know the same year uh back in 98 obviously you joined the same year uh right before that came out um and um i, I know a few a few years back you guys played a 30th anniversary show in new jersey for the spine of god record um do you have anything maybe up the sleeve to maybe do something for power trip for the 25th anniversary is there any any talks about that in the yeah, works there's some talks about that okay you know especially mm. after doing this uh we just did the tour of europe you know um and we did power trip in you know we did power trip right before the pandemic we like when the pandemic started when coronavirus started we were in europe playing power trip mm. so and so that's been on hold here um okay. we want to do it we're going to do it mm. You know, okay. um, it's a special record. It's a real special, of course, a real special time in uh, mine and Dave's history. 
and our friendship, you know, that record mm -hmm. was, uh, I happened to be in LA, uh, living it. I was living and starting to work in LA when Dave called me and said, Hey, I'm going to come to LA to do this record. I didn't know. We didn't know it was power trip at the time, mm -hmm. but when I was visiting Windorf in the studio and hearing these tracks. It's like, Oh my God, this is a great record. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it just kind of was in the studio a lot with him at the time and the other guys at the time and uh, really special time, you know, mm -hmm. really, really cool. Yeah. Well, I'm like you just said, I mean, you and uh, you and Dave, I mean, like I said, it's been 25 years since you joined Monster Mag, but, uh, you know, uh, you you guys, of course, go way back before then. I mean, back to the late 70s, obviously, when you're both in the punk band Shrapnel. Um, and I, I didn't realize until I interviewed um, him that Shrapnel was Michael Lago's first signing ever to a lecture. I just found out a few years ago, obviously, Michael being the legendary A&R guy who, yeah. after Shrapnel, signed a little band called Metallica back then. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so like I said, you and Dave, man, you guys go way back, like 45 plus years or so. I mean, you don't see that often you know no. with that with that sort of relation like you said you guys are obviously a great fan so what is it about working with dave that really makes you you guys just such a a natural fit now he's friends really band members which is really tough to pull off for that long you know i think i think with the both of us it's it's um kind of who we are and where we're from you know we're from red bank new jersey you know and like mm -hmm. i honestly met you know i met i met dave in 1975. wow yeah. Right away, my friend's brother was driving to see, uh, you know, uh, Lou Reed at the Felt Forum, and he goes, "Oh, we got to pick mm. up my friend Dave," and and I didn't know who Dave was at the time. And then when Dave got in the car, I was like, "That's that cool dude in Red Bank who, like, you know, I always see him at the record store, you know." And like, mm. kind of the visual was there. But then um, after that, we started hanging around and listening to music together. Our formative years were like we're in the same room, you know, and like. Uh, mm -hmm. I think what keeps us together after all these years looking at it now, um, just our influences and, and we're still on the same page. You know, you hear a lot of, you know, a lot of guys in long-term bands that don't stay together or there's all this conflict or whatever mm -hmm. that like, guys wanted to do something else. They didn't like the road that the band was going down. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. Then it's personal. Like, we've always kept our friendship in front of everything. Mm -hmm. I remember when Dave asked me to join the band, we were very, very clear that we've been friends for a long time. No matter what happens with business, no matter what happens with what, we're going to remain friends. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it seems like Dave, I mean, like I said, obviously when I was talking to Tim, same thing, even when he left the band, he was still working obviously for years with monster bandit, you know, behind the scenes. Um, and it just seems like in general, you know, I mean, just, with Jersey, with New Jersey, I mean, there's you know, obviously you've got those the bands that are just so tied together. You have Monster Magnet and Atomic Bitchwax and Riot God. I mean, it just seems like you guys really have such a tight, unique community where it's really just you guys all support each other and help each other out. And obviously, you know, proof is in putting that going back as far as you guys do, you know, with with each other. And like I said, with with all you guys, it's just it's a cool little you know thing that's hard to yeah we all see a lot of us we've talked about it you know a lot of us to the journalists always like man jersey's just such a tight little group there that everyone they just guys just really stick together you know yeah, so yeah, i think it comes you said the word right there it's the friendship and want you, you want to see your friends do good you want to see your friends be happy like mm. happy right so yeah. doing good is relative 
right? Like, because you're happy, you're doing things like, you know, even like, you know, we're on this tour, you know, hanging out with with, with Dave Woody from Municipal Waste, you know, he was, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, this, yeah. it's like so intertwined, you know, uh, Rob Leacock, who's done all our work, I can, you know, any given night, I can see that guy walking down the street, you know what I mean? You mentioned a lago. Since the days I met Michael, I mean, I remember being in the front row of Dead Boy shows and seeing you know. this guy. I knew Michael before he worked at Electra, mm-hmm. a visual, you know, and then he sure, worked, yeah. Then he worked at the Ritz and, Ritz, and he was booking bands, and one thing led to another, and you know, we were doing the whole, uh, uh, you know, punk magazine thing with Lakes McNeil and all that stuff before that, and as Shrapnel evolved. Michael ended up working with us and getting us the record deal. It was like a great learning process. And like, Michael is one of my closest friends of my life. You know, he's a dear, mm-hmm. dear friend of mine. And, you know, um, and, and, and Michael, like, you know, calling me and let's go see this band. Let's go see that band. I remember going to see Metallica with Michael at Lamores in Brooklyn, you know, when he yes. was like, I love this band. We got to go. Remember him, you know, and I had like being out in Jersey, I knew who they were from the whole Old Bridge thing, you know? Yeah. I mean? And mm-hmm. so everything kind of like intertwined with, with certain friendships, you know? And like, I'm not saying I turned Michael on to Metallic, but when we were talking about it, I was like, oh man, I hope Michael does it. You know I mean? Cause there was, mm-hmm. there was other labels after Metallica at the time, mm-hmm. you know? And sure. uh, Michael's such a great dude. All and Daniel and Daniel Ray from Shroud. Daniel Ray, that's on, right. Going on and doing, you know? White Zombie and producing and everything, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and all that stuff so and yeah. like now we're all uh one of the during the pandemic one of the best days i had was getting together with dave and daniel and michael and just us dudes knowing each other as long as we have and you know those guys encouraging me to do my record you know what i mean and so mm-hmm. it's it's all like you know dave windorf has been very encouraging with, with, with my project and uh same with michael and daniel and all the local cats, Tim and, you know, Bob and, and then doing it with Bob. And, you know, like now we have, you know, uh, the last bunch of years, Alec Morton is our bass player playing bass with Magnet. He was in Raging Slab with Bob and Blitzbeard mm. play all the shows with Raging Slab. It just feels right, you know? Yeah. Mm. And at this time, at this age and this time of our careers and like, you know, bringing up the 25 year thing, like things just make sense, you know, things just make sense, you know? That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I'm going to, you just brought up Blitzbeer, so we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, like I said, obviously after Shrapnel disbanded, uh, you didn't stop, okay, and you started Blitzbeer. Um, very underrated band, in my opinion. It came out in 1990, right around that time where there was there was so much great music coming out of New York and New Jersey at that time. You had all these different subgenres of rock. Um, yeah, obviously, you had the noise rock stuff. You had the White Zombie and Helmet and Unsane. Yeah, I mean, that all came out at that time. Hardcore, obviously, you know, New York hardcore was as big as it ever was at that point. But there was that other scene where Blitzbeer was sort of in, you know, that sort of sleaze rock, you know, slash metal type of sound. Um, like you mentioned, Raging Slab. Raging Slab was, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people thought they were going to be just humongous. I, you know, thought, I thought they should have been like the biggest band in the world at the time. They they should have been bigger than they were. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, they were just a, such a different band, such a unique band. Great. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Circus of Power was another band that was in that, you know, that arena. Um, Cycle Sluts from Hell. You know, like I said, it was just that 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 cool little scene that you guys had out there. But you talk a little bit about 
the, like those early nineties days in New York city as a musician, oh, yeah. you, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's funny enough. I met Scotty from Blitzbeer at the Brighton bar in long branch. He was down playing mm -hmm. with, uh, uh, there was a guy named Fourway. He had a band called Bad Posture. They were from San Francisco, but they they started another band. I forget what they were calling that band at the time, but a local guy said, there's this guy coming down here, this guitar player, you should meet him. And, you know, you guys would hit it off, you know. And Scotty was from uh, Union City, New Jersey, and living in New York. And uh, I was living in New York at the time. And, and so... We got together and started like writing some songs together at the time the initial time i was just like it was after shrapnel and i didn't know what i was doing or what i really wanted to do and you know um young and just like you know in my 20s and just like what am i going to do and i started hanging out with this dude and we just started writing songs together and i took a little bit of a break was like i don't know it's moving kind of fast and i, I don't know what i want to do and he was like well I called him a few months later, you know, about six months later, and he was like, you know, I got this other bass player, Kurt Fleck, who happened to play in Raging Slap for 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. And we started Blitzbeer. And we were, uh, that period of time, you're right, was a really interesting time in New York City because not only did you have hardcore, the heyday of hardcore, mm -hmm. in my opinion, you know, yeah, and, uh, like, like all of that old punk rock stuff led into hardcore. I can't give Roger and Vinny Stigma like mm. enough credit. Like my, I'm a big, big, big Agnostic Front fan. Same here. Yeah. Romag stuff, Murphy's Law, who I played in with a little while, mm -hmm. at uh, Reagan Youth and all these bands. But then you also had the bands you mentioned, the Unsane, Cop Shoe Cop. You had Lydia Lunch. Then you had the early white zombie noise stuff. Then you had Sonic Youth. And then like mm -hmm. at any given night of the week, you could go out anywhere, anywhere. and find something cool to see. Yep. It wasn't yep. just a sleaze rock thing with, with uh, uh, you know, the Circus of Powers and us guys and the slabs and the cycle sluts and stuff. You had the Lismar Lounge and you had the Pyramid. Then yep. you had those bands coming in from Seattle playing at the Pyramid and the first time Nirvana's in town, the first time, uh, uh, you know, all the early Soundgarden stuff. Then you had, you know, the Laughing Hyenas, which is one of my favorite bands from Detroit coming in. I'm like the mm -hmm. biggest John Brandon fanboy. Yeah. I love John. He's a good, you know, become negative a Negative approach, fan. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I love negative approach. I love easy action. And then you started, like, that time in New York was very, very special because when you really look at the punk rock stuff, it only mm -hmm. lasted a couple of years. And I always felt like with that whole CBGB's era stuff, the hardcore guys were the ones that kept it going at the mm -hmm. days. Then yep. there were some other stuff too. I guess, you know, the Sonic Youth and the other places to play and Lydia Lunch and all this stuff between poetry readings and things to see and do. The Lower East Side was, was a melting pot. Then you throw on top of it the art that happened mm -hmm. in that time frame. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's just yeah. ridiculous creatively what went on. It, it, yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, it's it's unfortunately, yeah. I, I Like you said, the art part is, is interesting, too. You had all the street art. You had all the, you know, the poster art, you know, um, that was coming. I mean, you had great artists. The guy who did this right behind me, Puzz said, you know, I mean did all those a lot of those albums you know prong and he did a bunch of bands i mean i, I think he even did metallic i, I believe yeah, yeah. right yeah he did some metallic stuff and pus had 
I actually, I saw him recently. He did, had a thing in the city. What an interesting guy. What a great dude. All the th- And then, then you throw in the stuff from the West Coast that was filtering it east. I'll never not acknowledge the West Coast. Like, I'm not one of these guys, oh, New York, New York. There were mm. pockets of the country that really cool things were going on. You had COC, you know, and then COC from the hardcore days, you know, the punk rock hardcore days evolving into what they evolved into. Then you had the skate culture, and then you had subway culture and skate culture meeting. Pusshead was doing stuff in Thrasher magazine, and like I remember somebody say, "Hey, this guy Pusshead wants to talk to you, you know, about you know your music." And I was like, mm. "Wow, I know that name from mm. reading magazines. We all used to read mag magazines and magazines and things and be out there and postering and wheat pasting and shows and like." We felt like we were the king, like when Blitzbeer, we felt we, like we were the kings of the fucking world. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you're out sure. doing it, hanging out. And like you go down to, you know, Avenue A and like everybody in every band was all there hanging out. And it goes back to friendships. A lot of friendships were developed back then and people are still in touch. And, you know, and Stigma and I are really old friends, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Roger and like all these dudes and, and, and people and, you know, like your friends were bartending at different bars and, you know, very special time, very special time in New York City. Yeah, it was. It was. And for you guys, obviously, you know, Blitzbeer, I mean, and this is now, you know, here you are, you know, between Shrapnel and Blitzbeer and, you know, you're you've been playing for a little over a decade and you've already now been on two major labels, you know, and that itself is is obviously, I think, a major feat just to, I mean, get to that a lot of people just to get one deal with a major is one thing but to be on two bands two majors and the majors were all over that i mean you had rca and epic especially were really signed a lot of those new york bands at that time like you said it was just a special time like you said it really yeah. was you know and and speaking of you know this this album cover behind me blitzbeer live that was recorded at my favorite club ever the limelight i mean pegation rock and roll church that still to this day is just to be the best club ever with all the different rooms it was like a oh, maze yeah, you get lost right what wasn't to love about it? Ah, it's amazing. Playing rock and yeah. you're playing rock and roll, and there's hot chicks dancing in cages. There's all mm-hmm. the, you had you had all this decadent rock and roll stuff going on, and you're seeing people coming and going. You had all different types in there, and yep. a church, in a church, and yep. a church. You're, you're looking up playing on stage, and there's stained glass everywhere. It's like wow, this is beautiful. Hmm. It was amazing. like you said, it was just all those different rooms, you know, and they all had a different feel or a different maybe sound of music in it with a different DJ, or you had that spot in the back on the top with all the couches back there. It was just just a, a amazing place. I, I to this day I've never been to a club like that in my life, yeah, you know. Beautiful just, club, great time. Yeah. And the one yeah. the girl who used to book the Sunday nights, Pamela Brett, she was a really nice man, and she gave us a a good shot limelight you know we wanted to do it live and mike schnapp and frankie LaRocca at epic you know they uh they gave us a shot you know and we were having mm-hmm. a good time we were having fun man it was a real special time in my life yeah now you talked about before um you know you you joined uh one of the i would say one of the more old-time classic new york city bands and you don't have to be a fan of new york hardcore to like this band and that's obviously with murphy's law and jimmy gestapo i mean i could I, I could do a whole episode here about hardcore i mean i'll be another you know unfortunately this is a hard rock show so i don't want to get too much into the hardcore uh which like i said i'm a huge hardcore fan obviously but um you know when i the, the interesting thing about your career is like you said you you haven't really 
you've been into so many different scenes and styles. You know, you just weren't just in magnet and just in a hard rock, heavy rock sort of stoner rock vein. You, you've, I mean, obviously with hardcore, you, you played with Murphy's Law. More, most recently, just a handful of years ago, you played. Uh, um, I know you at least helped and wrote uh, music for the Blood Clot record. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out, which is a great record. You've obviously been a producer for Hapri, you know, with all all their stuff, you know, over the years. Um, and a lot of artists, they'll, they'll usually say it's, oh, you know, they like, they're sort of reinventing themselves or they're, you know, something like that. I mean, do you look at it that way for, in your career with all the work you've done and, and been involved with? Is it, were you sort of, you know, quote unquote, reinventing yourself as a musician when you went from, say, Shrapnel to Blitzbeer to Murphy's Law to Monster Magnet? Or was just, you're just someone who liked all different genres and you just didn't I, care about it. You just I didn't really care about that stuff. I just mm-hmm. always gravitated towards what I liked. And and what I liked always had the core elements, you know, of like uh the Stooges, Motorhead, um, like in all the bands I was ever really attracted to, all had those core elements, whether it was punk rock, hardcore, hard rock, um, alternative. No matter, I never like putting a label on things because, to me, in my world, hardcore was an, it was a was an exact extension in lineage to bands like the Ramones, right? Mm-hmm. And sure. the Bad Brain. I remember the Bad Brains. Bad Brains. The first, I remember seeing them one of the first times they played in New York, and you know, there's all these things that just lined up for me. You know, like. When I got involved with Hatebreed, I got a call from Matt Hyde, who produced Power Trip, who's coming out west and coming out east from the west coast to work on this record. Have I ever heard of Hatebreed? Yes, I saw them open up for this other band. And it just all kind of started, to me, things just started fall. They always fell into place. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it had to do with timing. And I never was, like, trying to reinvent anything other than, like, I'm a fan. I'm a fan Mm -hmm. of music. Like, at the end of the day, I'm still a fan. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, without all the subgenre nonsense or whatever. Rock is rock is so many different, you know, so many different types of sounds. But that's really cool that you were able to, like I said, kind of put your dip your toes and be a part of all these different, you know, yeah, and with the with, scenes with the Murphy's Law thing, Blitzbeard kind of hit the wall. Mm-hmm. I get a call from Todd. Hey, Jimmy wants to talk to you, and I didn't know what it was about, and I was just like, I figured, like, I don't know what it's about. So, hey, we're going to be hanging out in the park. Come on down. I go down and said, hey, uh, we need a bass player for this tour. Do you want to go? I'm like, when are you leaving? They're like, oh, we're leaving in two weeks. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, let me get a passport. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was, like, it was really fun. It was always like that we did a warm-up show at the Wetlands, another club that flies. Oh, yeah. Great art. Great place, you know, yeah. and, and that people don't talk about enough. And like, boom, mm-hmm. I was on a plane going to France with Murphy's Law, like staying on a squat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So things always kind of like fell into place. And then, you know, you lead up to monster magnet and you lead up to me doing this record. It's always been a lot of, um, I always just kept grinding away, you know, like mm-hmm. doing my thing, you know, it's always been, been okay for me. Yeah. Well, I, and, and I've heard, you know, touring with Mar- Murphy's law. I mean, that must've been one hell of a time because I've heard nothing but just, I mean, what a great time that band would have on the road. Just in general, they're always a fun band. I mean, Jimmy would do his his, his you know St. Patrick's Day uh, shows, obviously in, in in the city. And I mean, um, but but people I've talked to who have played with them, just like there was nothing like touring with with Murphy's Law and oh, Jimmy. Jimmy's a great guy, dude. He's mm. he's just a good. He's a lot of fun. And at the end of the day, he's just a really good dude. And like mm. you know that whole 
I have such a giant um, appreciation and spot in my heart for that time period because they're the first guys I went to Europe with. Mm, you know, okay. um, and it's a big part of what I ended up doing later. And at the time, um, I was just filling in for a while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was just having like, like fill on some space, you know, and then I had a good time doing it. And then, uh, you know, it was like, and then that led me to like going to LA and then LA living in Los Angeles led me back to New Jersey, joining mm -hmm. Monster Magnet, which all these, you know, 25 years later, putting out a solo record, you know, yeah. like it's all like back to what you're, when you're mentioning, like, you know, what this record sounds like, it's like all of it, you know, mm. like, like I, I, you know, you look behind me in my studio here, I got guitars everywhere and amps everywhere. And I just wanted, I went back to like, what would it be like in my head to still be that teenager who got their first guitar, got their first fuzz pedal, got their first amp and just used that one thing on the record because working in production, we've always, we've, you know, gotten far away i'll use this guitar for this part that guitar but like all these different things i just wanted to mm. like pull everything back into my original influences and then that was really special to me to do that mm -hmm. yeah no, absolutely man well you know i'm gonna i want to talk about a, uh you've mentioned his name now a couple of times uh the late great todd youth um as you you've been talking about obviously you and todd have worked together in many different projects um Todd obviously was a huge New York hardcore figure. He was there from the start in the early days, A7, all of that. Um, such and such an underrated and underappreciated guitarist. I mean, every project he did, and he did a lot, uh, was really, really solid. I mean, I mean, obviously, regardless of the hardcore with Murphy's Law and, and, and Warzone and everything. I mean, what he did, you know, I mean, obviously he played in Danzig, played on one of their records, toured with them. He was even, I know, uh, he, he was supposed to get an audition for the Foo Fighters. I know we turned that down because he joined uh, Danzig. Um, he played with Ace Freely for years in his band. Cheap Trick record. Played with Glenn Campbell. I mean, just an amazing guitarist. But he's also, I, I want to point out some of the records that he, uh, or bands that he, projects he played with, or played on, that no one really talks about. It. Some people don't even know. The first, I mean, record that stands out to me that he did was, was Chrome Locust. Mm -hmm. Huge fan of that record. I mean, and to Great. our listeners and viewers, viewers and listeners out there that love stoner heavy rock stuff, that you got to go check that out. Chrome Locust. Great yeah. record. Fantastic record. You know, and mm. you, you mentioned it like, well, Todd and I were friends. And again, it goes back to friendship, right? Mm. So, you know, who, there's only one guitar player who can say they played an agnostic front. And Glenn Campbell. Yeah. How <laughs> yeah, far away can you? Unbelievable. Get? How far? I know. But in this, at the same time, it makes sense to me because, you know, Todd lived with me for a while in New York. And when I was driving a cab, it was after those Blitzbeer days and, and, and around the time I was playing in Murphy's, you know. And uh, I would come home from driving a cab for hours and hours. And there, Todd would be on my couch with a guitar like with a needle on a record, just learning guitar parts of songs that I had no idea he wanted to learn. And mm -hmm. he could really fucking play. And he oh, was yeah, a musical man. encyclopedia. And he was just like styles. He could like shift gears like that. He could just shift gears. And um, 
you know, it was when Todd approached me to do the Capricorn thing. It was just like a little fun thing. I'm like, yeah, let's do a couple songs and put it out, you know, like, yeah, why not? You know? And, and another thing when Todd played in that couple week period with motorhead, that was one of his most, you know, we loved that was our love for motorhead thing, but like, that was a real special time for him. And, and the Glenn Campbell thing was really special because I remember being in LA and we would visit each other in different, when, when we were making a uh, uh, monolithic, the magnet was making monolithic. Todd would come by the studio and see me and I go and over and see him. And he was working with this producer. And, uh, and that was around the time of the cheap trick stuff as well. Mm -hmm. He was becoming this session cat, man. And he, he mm -hmm. was like, I was like, wow, man, I'm really happy to see him really branching out and doing his thing. But like, there was another band he had that I don't know if a lot of people know about was the Home Wreckers, and that was another mm -hmm. great thing that I always wish the Home Wreckers stuff came out. And that was like mm -hmm. a right around the time of the Chrome Locust stuff. But Chrome Locust, uh, it's funny, we saw uh, in Europe, we saw um. The bass player uh jim hannigan and um i did a little record i did you know i did this recording on a, a it was like some motorhead tribute thing that todd did with des cadena on vocals and todd and it was like jim and mikey and like it was like crazy that mm -hmm. that the musical influence well the musical all the different paths he went down yeah and, yeah all over the place special dude man special i miss i miss todd a lot because uh the one song on this record uh that dates back to the uh my time with todd and writing with todd i uh, didn't write this with todd i wrote it myself but uh we were talking about doing a couple like doing another uh capricorn release and we were at, he was out here and he was playing with jesse malon at the time mm -hmm. And then we were doing the uh, Motorhead tribute thing at, at Jesse's spot. And um, I go, Todd, I got a song I want to play for you. It's like, if you know, and I played him the song Heroes. And he was like, wow, that's really good. We should record that, you know. Mm -hmm. And we never got around to doing it. And I was like, you know what? I got to put this record, this song on this record. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he mm -hmm. loved it. And, and um, he was like, wow, I can't wait to dig into that track. And it never happened. So I was mm -hmm. able to into it for him you know and he's that's like, cool i missed the dude a lot you know it's funny as fuck a lot of great times a lot of mm, great times. nice well you know it's funny once he passed you know i remember sitting here and and like probably about a couple a week or so after he passed i was i, I had this record from like around 93 or so not yeah this was about 93 94 and i i never know i never knew really who was in the band and i remember i hadn't heard it a while and i was listening to it, i was like yeah what was this band about it's a pretty cool record it was an alternative sort of metal band that was called larva yeah and i and i and i'm looking and i'm like holy shit it's todd youth i mean he yeah. this he was the guy it was unbelievable another band with a cool record i mean it not really much happened with that band i remember i remember just having it uh because it was on that energy records and i forget how i got it remember, but another uh, band that this guy was i mean it's just it's like he was in so much stuff he, he, he's just such a, a unique underappreciated guitarist i wish more would dig into because like you said he's just got such a, a catalog yeah. of great music you know yeah i remember him calling me up and be, hey come on I'm, I'm mixing this song with this guy can you come by i need i need your ears on it and it was a larva it was larva. yeah it's unbelievable and, you know, we go back to you know we, we, we were young man when we met you know and mm -hmm. like 
And there was a lot of special dudes around that time period. And Todd was a link. And Todd had that lineage, you know, where he went from the hardcore stuff and playing with Ace. And I remember like him showing me Kiss songs. I remember like, I remember playing guitar with Todd and, and we were playing Kiss for He's like, and it, Phil, it doesn't go like that. It goes like this. Mm. That's how Ace does it. And I was like, oh my God, I never would have thought that. I always learned it another way in my head, you know? Mm. Yeah. No, totally, man. Yeah, so now let's we'll, we'll switch up back to just Monster Magnet real quick. Now, as a guitarist, you know, from Monster Magnet, you guys have three guitarists in the band. Mm -hmm. Tell talk a little bit about how that works with you know when it comes to the playing of songwriting. I mean, I, I mean, is is having the third guitarist is that more for Dave in terms of the live perspective of it, or um, you know, I just just want to curious, you know, when bands have three guitarists, how it sort of works, or who does what, whose roles are what. I mean. Whatever you can divulge to us. Well, you know, about like, that. so, you know, I I want to give Dave more credit than he ever gets as a guitar player. Okay. Right? So when we, when Dave writes the songs for Magnet, he plays, you know, he does his demos. He brings them to me. Uh, we sit around and bounce ideas and we talk about what he is envisioning for the, for the songs to sound like it's all in his head my kind of job is to get that and make it a little more cohesive you know okay. to how it's going to evolve but that core is still there he's a fantastic rhythm guitar player nobody plays garage all those garage rock leads are dave you know okay. and then sonically the space rock stuff i don't never met anybody who can manipulate a delay like dave windorf you know like mm -hmm. he just does a certain thing then he comes to me, then I put all my sloppy stuff on it, you know, I get my Ron Ashton kick going on and I get all that happening. And then now with Garrett, Garrett's so good. Oh yeah. Such a fucking good guitar player. It's like ridiculous. I don't know how he does it. Uh, and it kind of all starts working, you know, it all kind of, it's just kind of like, okay, we're making a good pot of stew here and all the ingredients just fucking work. And if any one guy wasn't involved, it wouldn't come out the same, the same. way, mm -hmm. you know? So sure. we all play off of each other to a point and we all add what we add. And I think also too, one of the main things is knowing when to subtract. Okay. Not mm -hmm. just adding everything because mm -hmm. it can stomp all over, it, giving each guy mm -hmm. a little bit more room to let what they do shine, you know? And then uh, Dave and I put a lot of thought into it. Like when we, when, when we start to, when he, when we start to develop his songs and take them to the next level of like, what are the bass parts going to be? And like to try to keep the core of those little original demos is really, really important for Magnet because that's the kind of mm -hmm. artist he is. Windorf writes where he's at, at that particular time. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like, like going back to power trip, when we were like doing God says no, oh, you know, we're like, oh, the next power trip. Well, that is like, well, he already did power trip. He's not going to write power trip again. Mm -hmm. he did it. Sure. You know, that's my, that's why I love Dave so much is that like all of his influences really do come out. There's always that garage rock element. And there's always like a Grand Funk Railroad MC5 kind of element. And then there's also that British Hawkwindy kind of element that mm -hmm. only he can do. There's a lot of guys have tried, but like, you know, I don't say that because he's like one of my best friends in my whole life. Like I respect his talent so much and working with him in this. I remember, I remember being in the studio with producers 
and Dave and I will go in and we'll start fucking around to be like, you can't do that. We're like, why? You know, like, oh, mm. cord, well, I won't do that. We're like, no, 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 no. This is how we do it. I remember one time I was playing guitar and, and I was trying to like, I thought it was too sloppy and the guy's trying to get me to play tighter and, and, and this and that. Windorf walks in, it's like, just let Phil be Phil, man. Like, let him do what he fucking does. Leave him the fuck alone. You know, like, mm -hmm. that's how we work. Mm -hmm. We know when to be super serious and we know when to fuck off. And I think that's what makes it work after all these years. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the fact that you guys, like I said, I mean, you played together as teenagers at Shrapnel. You know, I mean, and just, I, I would say, was, was, was Shrapnel, was he, you know, the main songwriter for, for that as well, for, for Shrapnel? Was that a, a bit yeah. of a mix? At that time, guess. from what I remember at that time, uh, the band, well, Dave was the singer, so he was writing a lot of lyrics. Okay. Dave was writing a lot of lyrics, and he had just started playing guitar a little bit in Shrapnel, and he would come up with a riff here and there, but it's really Daniel. Okay. Daniel, Daniel Ray, uh, myself, uh, this, it really, Daniel, it was Daniel, myself, and, and the other guitar player who passed, David Vogt, but uh, it was very collaborative, but uh, Dave was more, like, he wrote the songs, but more the lyricist and, like, leading the way, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, and Dave mm -hmm. had these visions, you know, like, I always say Dave is like a living, lives in a comic book story. You know, it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's been such a pleasure to be around. And like, hey, look at as far as anything goes with all that. I know we're bouncing around all over the place with the shrapnel stuff. What other band can say they were in an issue with Spider-Man? Nobody. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Like, True. Good point. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things where those were, that was our beginnings. And then we went our separate ways and they started to play guitar more with that early. I remember hearing all the early magnet stuff. That was around the time I went on to do Blitzbeer and Daniel, Daniel was doing the production stuff with slab and circus and the bands up there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it all kind of, we all started to evolve musically in the road. Like the, one of the things about magnet that I don't think they get it, that we get enough credit for, is the garage rock elements of it? Yeah, I know what you mean. True. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, you get to the British, the Hawkwindy and the Sabbathy, and then the this, that, and all the other British stuff that we're involved with. But when you really get into it, there's a garage rock mentality to Dave, the mm -hmm. Dave psyche that has never left. And that goes back to that childlike guitar playing, the spastic rhythm guitars, the lead guitar parts. Then you then you throw in the Stooges, you know. The Stooges to me is the ultimate of like that with the first Stooges. Oh yeah, first Stooges. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. there's all that stuff, which you know, I like. Again, when we we're talking earlier about like my stuff is that it's always who I've been. So why change it now? You mm -hmm. know, why, why change it now is how I play guitar. That's what I do. Like if you ask me to play, hey, I have this part. I want you to play on a, uh, this. Well, call a session, dude. You know, I'll mm -hmm. give you, if you want what I do, I can do that. Like, you know, I remember when I was doing stuff with Todd, you know, he wanted a certain thing out of me and I couldn't really do it because I'm not that kind of player, you know, and mm -hmm. I would play, you know, the bass stuff. I play bass a certain <clears> way. <throat> I play guitar a certain way. It's hard for me. Like I've never been, in, I've, I've played original music my whole life. I've never been, 
I can get, I can fudge through a couple of New York Dolls riffs and some Johnny Thunders riffs and a couple mm. of things. I can play a Sabbath thing halfway, like when Magnet did uh, Into the Void. Into the Void, yeah. Dave and I going like, well, we can't do it as all, you know, let's <clears> just <throat> do a version that sounds like Suicide. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, okay, yeah. Mm. Fucking, let's fucking go crazy. You know, let's do mm. what we do. And that's mm. how that came out. So it's always been who I am, you know? Mm. Yeah, what you guys did, obviously, you said the the last record you put out, the covers record, the cover you did of, of um, Learning to Die by Dust, I mean, that was, you guys did a really bang-up job because that's that's not an easy band to cover either, you know? Well, that goes no. back. So <clears throat> that goes back to, like, you know, Dave and I, when we first met, we were listening to Dust. Mm. We were listening to all those bands, and and uh, he wanted to do that. And I was like, Fuck yeah. And there's even parts of that. I mean, I can't play that. Garrett, get over here. You know? Garrett and Alec, thank God you guys are here because I can't really do that. You know? That's tough, man. Easy. Easy. But like, you know. Yeah. A lot of fun. We have a we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun making records. Making records should be fun. It shouldn't be a sport. You know, it shouldn't be like I, I hear how some of these bands get. I'm like, well, I'm glad I'm not like that. There's no way I could do that. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pump fucking gas, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. No, you got to have fun. Exactly. It's art. And it's, uh, yeah, and I guess if, you know, when you're creating art, if you got that pressure to do something that's not you, it's not going to come out. It's not going to sound right. It won't come out that great. So, yeah. Like I said, yeah. Yeah. And all, so the, I, and all the core elements of who that, like, with my stuff, of that's who I am. You know, that's mm. what I like about. Uh, what I had a lot of that I've had fun with with, with, with the solo record. You know what I mean? I've had mm-hmm. a lot of fun with it, you know, and that's kind of like uh, I'm happy at this point in my career. I'm happy I didn't do something earlier. You know, I might have done okay. something different and be like, what the fellas, what is Phil thinking? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm happy that it evolved to a point to go back to my roots to do my own record and to let it be raw enough. And, you know, I hate labels and things but like uh let it be authentic enough of who i am and what i wanted to do mm. yeah well, well sp- speaking of labels you know i mean what's your take on the stoner rock label you know be, considering the fact that obviously monster max monster magnet is considered probably one of the top three godfathers you know along with maybe like caius and fu manchu they're yeah they're obviously the godfathers of the east coast the stoner rock but obviously, you know, a lot of musicians I talk to are just like, man, they hate that label. You know, I mean, only people that probably don't mind is if, is if you know, you, you do smoke weed or something. But but even people who do, it's like, yeah, it's it's just to them, it takes sort of away from really what the music's about when you call it stone or rock. I like to refer to it just as heavy rock. It's yeah. just rock a little bit heavy. So, I mean, what's your take on the whole stone or rock? I, I never liked the label. Yeah. I never liked mm-hmm. the label because the, the, the stuff that... The, the three bands that you mentioned that that kind of pioneered it being like Magnet, Caius, and and, and Fu Manchu, and there's there's a few others. Mm-hmm. I think each of those bands were listening to the stuff that influenced them, which was hard rock, which mm-hmm. was psychedelia, which was like you know uh, back then we would dig for records like you mentioned in Jacks, mm-hmm. like dig for records like a band like Jerusalem, a band like you know, uh, a Granicus, uh, is, is early grand funk railroad stoner rock is mountains. Mm-hmm. Stoner rock. They're, they're yeah. more common, more common bands. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, you look at Leslie West play guitar from the mountain. Felix Papillardi's bass is all fucking fuzzed out. Is mm. Hendrix donor rock? You know what I mean? Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and so for us, maybe at some points of our lives, we were getting stoned, finding music, but like the label of stoner rock never really quite appealed to myself. And I know um, that I'd never like speaking for Dave because Dave is his own person, mm -hmm. but I can tell you, he's not a big fan of that label as, um, as yeah. well. More like, think, more like with what you're saying, you know, mm -hmm. with our influences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's because it's it's this sound is becoming obviously bigger and bigger now. I mean, it's really having a resurgence. Uh, this heavy rock sound. So when you start hearing stoner rock, it's just you know, like I said, talking to some musicians that have been in, you know in the game for a long time, been doing this for for decades, just seem to really not don't want to embrace it. And I and I totally agree. I think it's a, like, like a bad is, label. Like what is punk rock? Yeah, that's well, true. The word the name punk exactly. Yeah, like. Punk rock mm. has become so mainstream after after the yeah. being around for so long. Mm. I remember when when like you had punk rock elements finally in some major label stuff. It was like well, it's been done. Yeah, like what is punk rock? Mm. You know, punk rock to me is is Charlie Parker and like those old mm. jazz guys jazz have guys. to get in a car and go into the back door of a club where they weren't accepted because of the color of their skin, but having to do what they had to fucking do because mm -hmm. the music was in them. You know what I mean? And then miles, the early miles Davis, you know, like that to me is punk rock, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, like with what we were doing, we're just kids fucking picking up guitars and didn't know how to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, that's true. Cool. And then you look at guys like, you know, the originators of, of you know, like, uh, from what I understand from being a fan is like, you know, the band Suicide, who had not, there was not one guitar, you know, and that was mm -hmm. like just loud, aggressive, screaming, and, you know, and uh, a lot going on to sign Alan Vega, a lot, you know, and then, uh, mm -hmm. you know, all like, what is punk rocket? To me, those labels, uh, I think, pull us away of how good the elements of certain music really are mm -hmm. yeah i pitch it, it, it tends to sometimes pigeonhole you know bands even though they don't really belong in a certain you know label group whatever you want to call it unfortunately i mean I, I, obviously that's been a it's been i think a a problem for decades within music is just the you know the 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 subgenreification of everything trying to put this here and this here obviously it's all a branding marketing thing yeah you label, 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 the, the major labels want to want to sell stuff right exactly yeah. so they want to they want they want a tag right they want the mm -hmm. next thing they want the next gimmick right yeah whereas like one of the things that I am really, really happy about, like people will ask me, like Phil is like, what do you think of music today? I'm like, well, you know, again, I go back to like what I like. I think it's great seeing young artists like being able to make music on their phones and laptops. I would have done the same freaking thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's fucking fantastic. I think mm -hmm. it's great. I, I, I think it's great when subculture becomes culture, you know, and then like it's all an, an involvement of of a natural involvement now some things like when when 
it's like anything. It's when something becomes marketable, then it's a sellout. And everyone, it's a sellout. And everybody's got their fucking opinion. It's like, I, I'm the kind of person, I just want to leave it alone. Like, there's some mm-hmm. I like that people won't like, wouldn't even think that I like, you know? But, like, I think it's cool that, like, uh, uh, you know, tomorrow Bob and I are going to go record my nephew and his band. He's 17 years old. He's got, he wants to play guitar and, you know, make a song. Nice. You know? So, mm-hmm. well, great. So we can bring a couple of kids in a studio and record them. You know what I mean? So it's like, That's there's great. Still young people out there who are influenced by things in their life that they, they need to make music. And that's what's important. Yeah, I agree 100% with you, man. Uh, bingo. Nailed it. So what's the plan for the record now, um, Phil? I mean, you know, for the new record, I, I mean, are you, for the solo record, are you just going to kind of, you know, are, you plan on maybe playing a show in Jersey yeah, or something? Or, like, you know? After, you know, at the beginning of it, I just wanted to do a record. And with Wendigo Productions, and that's actually my old friend, Raphael from the Cycle Slots. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Got a little, with a couple of bucks and, and you know, like, uh, like I'm just going to, it was just a talk of it was just to do a record. And how I got involved with them was through uh, Scotty from Blitzbeer's band, 10 Ton Mojo, about like, you know, uh, uh, I did some production with them. And, you know, um, and, and so originally it was like, okay, we're just going to do this thing. And um, now, because it's evolved, um, hopefully we can get out there and get a little combo together and do some things that make sense. You know, if it makes sense, I'll get out there and play. You know, I want to do it, you know, and, uh, you know, get this record out there, get it, get it um, played and get, get, get the word out there that it's actually real. That's why it was very important to me on the last tour to actually have some vinyl over at Jack's and bring the vinyl over with me to Europe to let people know, yeah, I really did this. This does exist now. Mm. And we will evaluate at the time when it's time to go play it. You know, mm-hmm. let me do a, a, I got a couple of things that I'm, that, that I'm doing with Dave and um, I've talked to Windorf is, you know, called me last week. Hey, you're going to go out and play this thing. Right. And I'm like, uh, he's pushing me to do it. Oh, nice. You know, mm-hmm. I'm pushing myself to do it. So yeah, I, there's going to be some shows down the road. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So, I mean, is this something you could see yourself just kind of doing on the side now going forward now that you've, you've got the first record out? Could you see yourself maybe putting one out down the road when you got some more downtime from Magnet or yeah, or yeah. Like I, you know, I'm at this point because I have my own studio, mm-hmm. I have the ability to make music, I've done the one. Um, you know, um, I, I have a couple of projects that I'm going to be working on right now to finish up that I've gotten involved with with some production stuff. And I'm always the kind of person like once I get all those creative things happening, that I will write some more stuff and and who knows where that's going to go but yeah i'll record some more stuff very cool very cool now in terms of also now with monster man uh live playing live you guys are slated to be playing uh desert fest new york uh september 15th i know you guys unfortunately were were forced to miss that last year because of an injury to dave but um and you just wrapped up 14 uh date mostly german european tour earlier in the month so i mean Fill us in on what's going on, I guess, currently with Monster Magnet, with everything that's going on in that camp. Any other future dates you guys got coming yeah. up after? So so the European tour was really, really great for us. After You know, um, with everything that went on with Dave, it's almost like uh, it, it, 
it felt right, you know, this year, you know, and, and, and everything lined up really well for this summer to do uh, the festivals and the headlining tour. For me personally, having this record out um, and then the, the uh, Desert Fest coming up next month um, and wind out the year with with um, our next plan for, for early next year, which would be uh, some more shows getting out there. There's some some talk about some record, you know, recording some stuff and we'll see what happens once we get past the Desert Fest thing. And like fall has always been a really great time to collaborate and talk with Dave or where he wants to go with things. And, you know, I, I see some things on the horizon for us. Oh, very cool. Very cool, man. Well, once again, the album is Kaivano. It's a debut solo release from Monster Magic guitarist Phil Kaivano. And Phil, where should we send the viewers and listeners to go check out the album, purchase it, and keep up with okay, what you got so, going on? Uh, let me, so it's available on all streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, there's some that I don't even, you know, I just got clued to. Um let me see. It's on Amazon Music, Apple Music, Deezer, Spotify, Title, Amazon. It's for purchase, uh, download on Amazon. And the vinyl is available through Downright Merch. Okay, Downright Merch. Yep. Okay. And I could, uh, if, if you want to send me your email, I could send you the link to that. That's actually uh, downrightmerch.com. Okay, very cool. Yeah, we'll put we'll, you know, we'll, we'll include that in the post when this comes up later in the week, uh, so that people can go purchase that. So we've been encouraging viewers and listeners to you know buy the music. You know what I mean? We would buy the vinyl, buy the CD, whatever it is. It's the best way to support an artist. Not so much through Spotify if you if you don't. Have oh it, yeah, the, the way know? yeah the way to support it is to purchase. You know that that's one thing that like uh, to me in my brain and my like old brain is that. It's about a product, not something that comes through the air. You know mm, what I mean? And, I like, agree. and it's about a product. And if you uh, like what your favorite artists do, I'm not saying me in specific. I'm saying if you like what you're hearing and you like what you do from somebody, I'm a big believer uh, uh, to purchase, you know, that go to that merch booth, pick up yep. something, whether it's if you don't have the money for a shirt, buy a sticker. If you don't have money for a sticker, buy a pen, uh, you know, support, support independent music because we are the ones who are keeping it going. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. and independent music is, is uh, really what's happening in the world today. It's like, and when you see the price of some of these concert tickets, I'm just like, I That's can't, I, I can't afford to do it. Um, it's but it's not about that it's about the real the real stuff is is the independent underground artists we're always the ones who support one another going back to what you asked about you know those new york days we were all at everyone's shows and i feel mm -hmm. really special that i'm still able to do this i'm in a great band some people gave me a great opportunity to put this record out i hope people like it and i hope when they hear it if they hear it streamed they're driven to support it so I can do it again. And that it's a real product, that product that you're like, I, 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 uh, I can't thank, um, uh, uh, third man pressing enough. I went with third man on this. I love mm -hmm. Jack's. I love Jack white and I love his, uh, 
you know, the whole Detroit thing. I was really, really happy and proud that this I didn't go the route of having this manufactured elsewhere other than Detroit, Michigan. And uh, um, Bill Skibby, who mastered this record, um, he works with Third Man and he gave me the contacts to to get this pressed here. And uh, I feel that we made um, the best product that I could to keeping it simple, the printing, the pressing, it's a, it, it's a quality product. And I was all about keeping it that way because I didn't want it to be like, you know, um, I didn't want it to be like a, a like 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 when you get this record, you get it in your hands. The different color choices that I made, mm-hmm. the model feels good, the cover feels quality, the inner sleeve, everything about it is so part of me that I want the fan of uh, Phil Cavano to have the quality that I envisioned it to be. Yeah, when they get the experience, you know, that's that's the yeah. whole point. The part of it is, is you know, that's missing. I think, you know, when you come to streaming, everything is that experience of holding that vinyl in your hand and, and and reading the liner notes and just, you know, you're having, like you said, that physical product. It just it just resonates more. You know, it sticks to you more than if you just kind of pop on the song, like you said, out of thin air, and that's it. You know, there's nothing yeah. else yeah. attached to it. You know, so yeah, yeah, and even and I and I took I took it upon myself to like and knowing that it was going to be streamable and downloadable, that even if you don't have a turntable, it's a nice piece of art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a nice quality yeah. piece of art that you can have, you can put on the shelf, you can hold it in your hand, and you can go and can feel it. And that's the kind of person I am. You know, I like quality. Yeah. No, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, once again, Caivano is the name of the record, Phil Caivano. And thanks, Phil, so much for uh, you know coming on and joining me here on the Heavy Galaxy show. Oh, and, great, uh, great show, man. Uh, a lot of great, great stuff here, man. Really, really good. Really, thanks, really man. Good. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Phil.